This is the Give and Go Report featuring Josiah Reckenbach, Cody Wagner, and June Davis. Welcome to episode three of the Give and Go Report featuring Josiah Reckenbach, Cody Wagner, and tonight we introduce our new host to complete the trifecta, June Davis. June, welcome. We're thrilled to have you on board. How are you feeling? What's going on, Joe? What's going on, Cody? Happy to be aboard with the team. Glad to, glad to be here. Let's get it. Absolutely, man. Glad to have you a part of the team. In today's episode, we'll be covering a wide variety of topics, from the Lakers' rocky start to the ongoing Ben Simmons drama in Philadelphia. And additionally, we will go in-depth on three teams in this week's On the Beat segment. As we take an inside look into the Memphis Grizzlies, L.A. Lakers, and Atlanta Hawks organizations. Listeners, we're glad to have you tuned in. Let's jump in. Our first headline of the week, the NBA season is officially upon us. Exciting times, great time of the year. The fall season is upon us and NBA has tipped off. June, as our uh, newest host to be added to the team, I'm going to turn it over to you. What are your first impressions after this first week of basketball? My first impression this week is, is how exciting basketball is to be back. You know, we've been it's been a long summer. We left off the Bucks when it a great championship. Giannis finished with 50 points, game six against the Suns. Crazy all season with a bunch of drama, a bunch of new faces, new places. And now we're back into it. Cody, what first impressions do you have after this first week of basketball? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this year. I was looking over the games so far this past week and Honestly, with Kyrie not being on the nets, I look across the league and I see a lot of parity this year. So I'm pretty excited. I mean, I can name off a ton of teams right now that could have a chance to win it. Lakers, Jazz, Suns, Warriors, Nuggets. I could go on with the list. So I'm pretty excited just because we have a lot of parity in the league. And uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens this year. Only time will tell. Absolutely. A couple of impressions for me. One, is that front runners can have flaws too. We're talking about the Lakers, Nets, and Bucks. Uh, combine those three teams. Uh, a lot of people consider those to be the three front runners to win the NBA title this year. Those three teams right now, three and five. Obviously, we have the Lakers in action uh, right now against the Memphis Grizzlies, but not counting that game, the Lakers, Nets, Nets and Bucks with a three and five record to begin the season. My second first impression. Uh, of this first week is that the Warriors are going to be in the playoffs this year. That looks like a lock. The way Steph Curry didn't even have a good game his first game, and the and the Warriors are able to win that first game. Going into the second game, he he lights it up. You know, once you get Clay back, you know, hopefully they can reincorporate Clay back into somewhat a full strength. The Warriors. That's my first one of my first impressions is that they look like they are back um, as a serious team. Our next headline. Uh, Lakers off to a rocky start. We talked about right now we're playing, they're playing the Grizzlies, so we'll see how that game goes. But our, the first two games of the season, a 121-114 loss to Golden State on opening night, followed by a loss to the Phoenix Suns on Friday night, 115-105, in a game that ballooned to a 30-point lead in the third quarter. June, I'm going to turn it over to you as our residential Lakers fan. June, what are your thoughts on how the Lakers looked in these first two games? Our first two games, you know, a lot of new faces. You know, you, you incorporate a ball-centric guard like Russell Westbrook. You bring in uh, guys like 
Malik Monk, bringing a guy like an aging vet like Melo, who is still equipped to score buckets but lacks on the defensive end. Um, bringing back Rondo, who is also another ball-centric guard, and you, and you have another season of, of Bron and AD together. Before a lot of the injuries set place, we were a, de- a defensive team. For most of last year, we led the NBA in defensive efficiency, uh, field goal percentage. So we were an elite defensive team. This year, we've, you know, trying to work out the early season well. So I don't put too much um, worry too early in the season, but it's definitely um, cause for concern. Yeah, and and kind of to go off of that, I was, wasn't was too surprised by Russ having some trouble there in the beginning, kind of meshing with AD and LeBron. Um I had I'd seen where so he's averaged eleven points per game, eight rebounds and or eight assists and six boards a game, but he's been shooting thirty five percent from the field, as well as he's not getting free throw attempts. And to me, whenever I see a player like Russ not getting free throw attempts, I think that's a key indicator that he's not comfortable. And what I mean by that is he's not comfortable with being aggressive, going his normal 100-mile-per-hour self, getting to the rim, getting fouls. So I think that's a a big indicator. And also, with Rust on the court, the Lakers, his plus or minus is negative 19. So it's showing on and off the court there as well. So, But I think he did bounce back this past Friday versus the Suns just a little bit. He he was one assist shy of his first triple-double. Now, he's still not shooting good, but he is trying to get others involved. And that's kind of what I expect his numbers to drop a little bit. But I think that um, he, he will – he'll learn to share the rock with LeBron and AD, but he'll still uh, stuff the stat sheet quite a bit this year. Yeah, Cody, to, to add to that, you know, with so many wing defenders being uh, hurt this year so far um, with – THT, uh, Trevor Reza, as well as none who has, who has yet, all three of them have yet to make their season appearance. We've run out lineups of Russ and Rondo together with LeBron, AD on the floor. So spacing has been a big issue thus far. So that's interesting to see, you know, Russ is not going to be automatically overnight become an elite shooter, even a good shooter. He's pretty much historically been a, a very bad shooting guard. So you trust in Bron. You also trust in Frank Vogel to kind of iron out those rotations as the season progresses. But earlier on, those the office of spacing and chemistry has been shaky, to say the least. And you and you got to think, whenever you get a group of guys like this together, a group of stars, it can go one of two ways. One way is you got the guys not wanting to step on each other's toes, wanting to share the rock, maybe passing up shots that they would normally take. Or you have guys that don't care about that and they're just trying to go out there and get their points. Yeah. And I think what you see with the Lakers is these guys are unselfish and that is a good problem to have. I think that's why I think they'll figure it out. We just got to be patient with them this year, not overreact right now, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I'll say for me, I am pretty concerned. Uh, you know, one thing that we talked about in episode two, the Western conference preview, we talked about the average age on the Lakers is 31 years old. And right now you have two guys that you need to be healthy and Horton Tucker and none. Both of those are younger guys that are going to be able to provide 
great minutes off the bench. Horton Tucker might even be in that starting lineup, maybe take Kent Bazemore's spot. And when you have two of the younger guys out, that's extremely concerning. When you talk about the minutes that are going to be played by veterans, LeBron, Carmelo, Rondo, et cetera, DeAndre Jordan, that's a really old team. And I'm, I'm, ex- I'm extremely concerned after this first week in terms of how they'll finish in the regular season. Now, you know, we, we know that the Lakers are going to take it to another level in the playoffs, but also what seed that you finish is going to be very important. And this to me doesn't look like a extremely well be, well-built regular season team, especially when you have some of these young guys out. I'm, I'm really concerned about teams like Utah, Phoenix, Golden State, potentially finishing ahead of them. And you really don't want the Lakers to get in that position they were last year where they're, a play-in tournament team, that is that is not ideal with this roster you've constructed. Our Great second pick. headline, as we move into our second headline in our in-the-headline segment, we have the Bulls and Hornets. Somewhat surprising 3-0 starts. I know Cody's going to say not a surprising start at all, but the Bulls and Hornets, both 3-0 to begin the season. Charlotte today knocking off the Brooklyn Nets and a, and a pretty big morale boosting win for them. You would have to say these two teams, three and O Cody, I'll turn it over to you first. What are your thoughts on each of these teams? I know you want to start with your Chicago Bulls. Oh yeah. I'm super excited about uh, the Chicago Bulls. And this is the first time they've been three and O in five years. So it's been five long years for that city. And it looks like we're starting to see, a good team be put out there on the court, a good product. And the first thing that kind of stands out to me so far with this 3-0 start is actually their defense. And that was my biggest question about them. And obviously we still have a long season to go, but thus far I'm really liking what Caruso does. He already has nine steals in three games. Lonzo has six blocks to go with that. And so Billy Donovan, he's been playing around with the lineups and it's actually pretty interesting. He's had Lonzo and Caruso out there at the same time, and they do a good job of harassing the other team's guards. So I know we've played the Pistons twice. They're not really a formidable opponent. Uh, Pelicans are okay, but I'm still impressed with what they've done. And as a team, they're leading the league in field goal percentage at 45%. So that's good as well. And I think that um, with the Bulls this year, I feel confident that they can carry this on because they do have three guys that can get you 25, 30 points a game if need be. Vujovic, walking double-double. He seemingly gets 15 points and 15 rebounds a game. So it'll be helpful in the long run. Say Zach Levine or DeRozan goes down, you'll still have two guys to lean on. But um, the biggest question after this, though, I want to see how Kobe White fits into this. I don't know where he fits into this role with Caruso out there. Javante Green's been playing well, Pat Williams. So it's an exciting time in Chicago for sure, but um, I'm excited to see kind of how they progress this year and if they can maintain that deep defensiveness, uh, that, that elite defensive that they've shown so far this year. June, and we talk about the Charlotte Hornets, another team that – uh, last year did not make the playoffs. Yes, they did make the play-in tournament, but but both of these teams are in similar situations where they have playoff aspirations for this year. What are your first impressions on the Charlotte Hornets after this first week of basketball? Man, the Charlotte Hornets so far in this first first week of this new season, 
how exciting Lamelo Ball is. You know how you know the style he brings off the off the off the court, the flair that he brings from the age of fifteen. He's been in the spotlight, so he he carries himself like a superstar. But on the floor, it's how he gets his teammates involved. You know how they how they want to run the floor with him, how they want to you know dive on the floor, how they you know how that is how he just leads them. Miles Bridges has taken that next step against the Nets. He had thirty two points and. You know, KD had 38, but Bridges held his own. Held um, James Harden to 15 points on the on on the night. So the Hornets are playing great. Um, just slowly, slowly, just continue to build that foundation with James Borrega and the young young cast. I love the additions of um, Ish Smith as well as uh, Pumley down low at the center position to solidify that uh, front court as well as having a good backup guard to kind of um, bring Lamelo, give him some uh, vet experience as a as a as a veteran point guard that Is Smith is. Yeah, both these teams, Chicago and Charlotte, are teams that in our Eastern Conference preview episode, um, both of these teams are teams I have in the playoffs. I, I believe I had the Bulls as the seventh seed and I have Charlotte as the eighth seed. So um, I'm not super surprised that each, each of these teams is off to a good start. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain it as they continue throughout the season. And our last segment uh, or our last headline here in the in the headline segment is going to be about Ben Simmons. I know a lot of people in NBA circles are probably very tired of this storyline, but we'll just quickly touch on that and give you some of our thoughts. Ben Simmons continues to be a distraction in Philadelphia. This week we saw Joel Embiid grab a microphone and tell 76ers fans that Ben is still their brother. Cody, what do you make of this drama in Philadelphia? I know we're probably all over it, but what do you think about this drama in Philadelphia and how they're handling it, and where do you see this headed? Yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen next. Uh, uh, I mean, Daryl Morey said that this could go as long as Ben Simmons' four-year contract. Uh, so that could be a while. I don't know if that's the smartest thing because I think every day that he's not playing, he's losing value on the trade market. And he's also, I think, Daryl Morey needs to kind of look at, I don't know if he's ever actually going to get the full value back for Ben Simmons. I mean, right now, maybe he gets a few picks and a few players, but I don't know if you can necessarily, necessarily replace that value. He's also, they said that um, they're kind of operating as if he's going to play. I mean, I read where they left him out of the preseason intro video and now he's back on there. So I actually I think it's just a Philadelphia 76ers organization trying to boost back up his value again. I whenever Ben Simmons is saying he has back tightness, I think he's still going to be able to get paid and not be penalized since he's come out with an injury. It's kind of like uh Kawhi Leonard whenever he had the the knee problems. Oh, it's, it's just not feeling right. Well, they can't penalize you for that. Even if the doctors say, Hey, yeah, you can go out there and play, you can still say that. So I think that's what Ben's doing. And the more I, the more we go on with this, I don't, I don't see him playing with them again. But it seems like it changes every day with him. June, what are your thoughts on this Ben Simmons situation? Where do you see this headed? I see it headed to where Ben Simmons would not play a game in a Philadelphia 76ers jersey, and I and I attribute both the the fault to both both parties. You know, Ben for not developing his game since his rookie year, he's been a steady 16, 8, and 8 type of guy. Daryl Morey came in what two years ago and one was automatically trying to trade for James Harden, bring him over from Houston with him to uh Philly. Didn't work out, he was sent to the Nets. Um, but Ben having that ego, having that kind of pride, kind of been a young millennial, 
definitely took that to heart. Um, so I, I, I take it fault on both halves because um, at, the, at the end of the postseason, Doc, Doc as the coach, kind of throwing Ben down the, down, down the trash and saying, you know, we can't win a championship with this guy. Um, and then your co-star, who's been there for, what, four or five years as your, as your teammate leading this team, and Joel Embiid kind of saying, if Ben shoots that shot over Trey Young, that's the difference in the game. So I, I understand both parties, um, but I see it where Ben is not going to play another play another uh, quarter, another dribble in a 76ers jersey. And if he does, I will be very surprised. Do either of you guys think that they can get value back for Ben? I mean, who who would we even look at? Are we looking at the Indiana Pacers? Which team are we looking at that could even put a trade package together or want to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that question about who they can get back is really interesting because at this point in the season, teams are not really shopping on the trade market. The season just started. They're really trying to see what they have. They're trying to really, you know, iron out their rotations. This is not an ideal time for somebody to get traded. You know, I, I think that the 76ers, I've said this many times, I think that they have completely messed up how this whole situation has been handled. And now it seems like they're just in panic mode in terms of trying to put as many Band-Aids on this situation. You know, I don't think Joel Embiid volunteered to grab a microphone and say that in Philadelphia. That was obviously a closed-door meeting. Hey, Joel, will you do this to try to get the fans back on Ben Simmons' side? So, I think that the Philadelphia 76ers have completely messed up this situation in terms of the value of what Philadelphia can get back for him. You know, I, I mean, I think that there's, you know, we're talking about a lot of teams in the NBA, 30 teams in the NBA. Somebody's going to step up and make an offer that Philly's going to have to accept. You know, who that's going to be, it remains to be seen. But in my opinion, I don't think that offer is going to come for a number of weeks until one of these teams is like, you know what? This player and this player doesn't fit into our future plans. Let's go ahead and pull this deal for, for Ben Simmons. And, you know, even with Ben Simmons not progressing with his shooting, if I'm a GM, I'm putting a package together right now. I'm trying to go get Ben Simmons. I want that 16, 8 and 8, all defensive player, a guy that can guard one through five. I want him on my team. So, yes, his value may be going down for a lot of different reasons, but I think if he, if you add him to somebody like the Warriors, the Pacers, uh, there, there's a number of teams that I think he could put over to that championship edge. And maybe, he, maybe he's not the main ball handler. Maybe he's playing off ball, maybe power forward. Uh, but if you put it with him with shooters around him and not a, necessarily a big like Joel and B down there clogging up the lane, I think you could see some good things from him, but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure where he's going to go. But I think I think he'll be moved before Christmas time. Yeah, to follow up on your points, you know, we haven't seen Ben in a, in a system that is conducive to his style of play, which is fast break, spread the floor. You know, we've had a clogger and, and a great player. You know, Joel is the franchise player in Philadelphia. That's not to be questioned. But their, their style of play really don't go together. You know, Ben is not going to overnight or even in a year turn into a, a – an above average shooter. He would never be a great shooter, but also he hasn't been putting in that work. You can tell from Lonzo shooting from his left ear. Now it's over, you know, it looks like a, con a conventional type of jump shot. Um, the list goes on. You just, you can tell that he's more accustomed to, you know, living the life of a, a celebrity versus being a, a ball player. And that is shown over his time. He hasn't, his game hasn't improved. With saying all of that, I would love to have him on my team. Um, if I was an owner or GM or a, a fellow Hooper, 
just knowing that, you know, he's a all defensive, all NBA type of player that's still what only 23, 24 years old. So his progression and his, his ceiling has not been reached yet. He just has to one be in a system that is going to provide him the luxury of being able to play to his strengths. And he has not had that yet. My opinion is a little bit different than y'all on this whole Ben Simmons thing. I know some people might say that this is a prisoner of the moment type situation, but the way that he also has handled this situation to me is, has been pretty toxic. He's not somebody that I would want around my organization. You know, I can speak for, you know, my fandom with the Atlanta Hawks. I would not touch Ben Simmons with a 10 foot pole. Uh, we're good. That would be my opinion. And I think that, you know, for a, for an NBA general manager that is looking to build a team with, you know, bring positive influences into the locker room, bring solid chemistry role players into the locker room, bring solid star players into the locker room that don't have ego issues. I, I wouldn't touch Ben Simmons with his 10 foot pole. Now I will say, you know, we've, we've talked a lot off podcast about where does he fit in? What would be some good places to him get traded? I have two interesting ones that I would like to bring to the podcast for this episode. One, Sacramento Kings. couple pieces in Sacramento that, that Philadelphia might find interesting. We've talked about Buddy Heald last year, second in the league, um, and three-pointers made. I think that that could be an interesting addition for Philadelphia. You could also package him maybe with a Harrison Barnes. Maybe you sprinkle in a young Tyrese Halliburton you know, and maybe throw in a first first round pick or so. I think Sacramento as a bubble team in the West would probably jump at that. You know, they're searching for an identity, you know, in terms of what they're going to look like. Luke Walton's clock is ticking. Is that a move that they make? And the second team, I think that I haven't really heard anybody talk about, but I think Washington Wizards would be an interesting move for this reason. Bradley Beal, you know, similar to how we've talked about Dame Lillard, you're going to have to do something to convince Bradley Beal to stay. You know, the Russell Westbrook project didn't go exactly the way they wanted to. Russell Westbrook ends up getting traded. Is Ben Simmons the caliber player that can convince Bradley Beal to stay in Washington for the foreseeable future? What are your guys' thoughts on those two trade destinations? Do you like those fits? Yeah, so to address the Sacramento Kings perspective, I don't think there's any way – if I'm the 76ers that I'm trading Simmons without De'Aaron Fox in the trade package, there's no way that they're going to get Ben Simmons without giving up De'Aaron Fox and maybe Buddy Hield or, and maybe Harrison Barnes, because I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right thing, but that's the price right now. Daryl wants now um, to your second team and that you mentioned is the Washington wizards that could work. Bradley bill kind of wanting to be out of Washington last year. And he would be a guy that could be a playmaker and score, play off ball at Joel. I kind of like that. Um, I don't know what their draft pick situation looks like, but I think that that would be a better fit in Washington for sure. But yeah, I don't, I don't see Sacramento happen. Yeah, to add to that, um, we haven't seen um, for the most part in history of GMs and owners loving to trade their star player or their secondary star player interconference, right? So the the Washington trade or you know it's so many different places Eastern Conference where GMs owners do not want to trade their star players to a, a team that you have to face three or four times or even in the playoffs to address your Sacramento I think it will work but to agree with Cody you will have to piece in that De'Aaron Fox um, star for star I love Halliburton but he was a great shooter but if you don't have that primary ball handler 
um, that's going to be coming back and return to Philly. It's kind of like a lateral move. And, and that- to clarify, all three of us on this podcast would not trade De'Aaron Fox straight up for Ben Simmons. Am, am I right on that? No, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I would not trade De'Aaron Fox. If I'm the Sacramento Kings, that's my franchise player. So I, I would make that move. I think that Philadelphia is delusional in terms of what they think that they can get back for Ben Simmons. It, you know, if you consider Ben Simmons to be, you know, if you compare him to like the stock market, Ben Simmons' stock is extremely low because of the Eastern Conference Finals last year, because of the way he's handled this situation, because the flaws in his games have not improved year by year enough. You might look at some areas and say they've, they've improved, but you're talking about a guy that they were hack-a-shack Ben in the Eastern Conference Finals and was just brick after brick after brick and just look shook. So for me, if I'm Sacramento Kings and if, if, if Philadelphia calls me and is like, we're not getting a deal done without De'Aaron Fox. Bye. I'm hanging that phone up ASAP. I'm I'm good. But if you want to talk about Buddy Heald, who for some reason they just seem bent on moving, or maybe Buddy Heald just seems bent on moving on. If you want to talk about Buddy and Halberton, maybe a first-round pick, personally I still don't do it, but I could see Sacramento doing it. And so up next in our next segment, we'll be going in depth on three NBA teams, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Atlanta Hawks. Stay tuned, listeners, after the break for this segment. Welcome back to episode three of the Give and Goat Report. Our next segment is entitled On the Beat. Uh, this will be a weekly segment in which each one of us will take a deep dive as we go in depth on one specific NBA team each week. So one week, Cody will have a specific team, June will have a specific team, and I will have a specific team, and we will go in depth as we provide analysis on that team and how they performed that week. First, I'll turn it over to Cody, who this week went in depth with the Memphis Grizzlies. Cody, what was your findings on the Memphis Grizzlies? How did you feel like they performed this first week? The Memphis Grizzlies are exciting. I think that they're going to be a playoff team for sure this year. They had wins over the Cavaliers, which was 132 to 121, high-scoring game, and then also over the Clippers, 120 to 114. So now they're setting at a 2-0 and record. Good start for third-year guard, Ja Morant. He's leading the team with 32 points per game, four rebounds, and seven assists. I've also liked the pairing of veteran Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr., They've seemed to work well together as Jackson can space the floor. And Adams, he's been cleaning up the boards with almost 12 rebounds per game. A notable injury is Dylan Brooks. He's been he, – he'll be back on the court next weekend, hopefully, at the earliest with a broken hand. But during his absence, they've tried out a few guys, one being Desmond Bain and the other De'Anthony Melton both of whom have started strong this season. DeAnthony Melton, who is a third-year guard from out of USC, has scored 21 points a game on 70% shooting with five rebounds as well. He also has a plus-minus of 32, plus 32 while he's out on the floor. So he's shown his impact there. And then also there's a 6'5 guard, as I said, from TCU, Desmond Bain, who's averaged 20 points per game while adding in there a still. 
So I think those two guys have shown that even when Dylan Brooks comes back, they're going to be formidable coming off of the bench to help out because they haven't had a lot of scoring production off the bench in these first two games. I think Kyle Anderson led them on the bench in scoring with 10 points. So they're going to be looking for a spark off the bench. But overall, the Memphis Grizzlies have seen Ja Morant already grow and improve in this offseason, and he's shown it in these first two games. I think he's a candidate for a couple awards, which we're going to get to later in the episode. But I think that Ja Morant, pairing with Dylan Brooks, Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., I think they're a force to be reckoned with this year. Absolutely. Memphis Grizzlies, definitely an exciting team in the Western Conference. Last year, we saw them with a exciting first-round matchup against the Utah Jazz, in which they came up short. But that was really an opportunity for John Morant to kind of showcase his skills um, on a national platform, and he absolutely did that. Definitely an exciting team in Memphis. Um, they are a team that we could definitely see making the playoffs in the Western Conference. Next, we have the Los Angeles Lakers. June, tell us about what you thought about the Los Angeles Lakers after their first week of basketball. Week one for my Lakers after a dramatic and star-studded offseason the, with the addition of Russell Westbrook. Um, did not start off great where Russell Westbrook and the Lakers lost opening night uh, to the Golden State Warriors by a score of 121 to 114. Uh, Steph and Jordan Poole, Controlled the show. Steph uh, had a triple-double, 21-10-10, and 10, where he self-proclaimed, said at the postgame where he had a trash performance, where he shot five for 21 from the field, two for eight from the three, but it was enough to pull away with the win. Braun and AD combined for a 67 points, 22 rebounds. LeBron shot 13 for 23 from the field, five for 11 from the three-point line. AD chipped in with 15 for 26 from the field. But it was not enough as the new newly acquired superstar Russell Westbrook only had eight points, five rebounds, four assists, shooting four for 13 from the field, 0 for four from three. The story of this game was the fourth quarter where they went to the fourth quarter with a two point lead, but came out losing the fourth quarter by a score of 38 to 29. Like I get like I said, once again, Steph and Jordan Poole um, starred the show. Bounce back until Friday. We had a rematch with our first-round opponent of the Phoenix Suns, but this matchup came out on the side of the Phoenix Suns as they win by a score of 115-105, to 105, and that score was not indicative of how lopsided this game was. CPT ran the show with a stat line of 23 points, five rebounds, 14 assists. He controlled the pace of the game. He got to his, got to his spots, and he also allowed – Devin Booker and Bridges to combine for 43 points. The theme of this game was the second and third quarter, where the Phoenix Suns outscored the Lakers by a score of 71 to 41. Braun added 25 and 5, shooting, shooting once again a great percentage from the three-point line, shooting five for five for nine. AD added 22 and 14. Russ had a better second game with 15, 11, and 9, but it was not enough. Defensive assignments, rotations are missing at this point in the season with a lot of key wing defenders out with THT out, uh, Trevor Reza as well as none. Currently they're up by eight, I believe, at the half against the Grizzlies. Good report there from Los Angeles. And next we'll turn our attention to the Atlanta Hawks. Everybody knows that that is my team. 
A uh, couple things on the Atlanta Hawks. So first game of the season, they played the Dallas Mavericks, 113-87 win. The Hawks click in on all cylinders offensively and defensively. I'll get to some specific points that I saw in that game. And then the second game was a clunker, 101-95 loss in Cleveland. Um, really kind of looked like two different teams at times. A couple of reflections for my Atlanta Hawks after the first week of play, one-and-one one record. My first reflection is how well Cam Reddish is playing right now. 19.5 points per game in two games, which puts him as the second leading scorer for the Atlanta Hawks. And if Cam Reddish can maintain this, this is just going to be added great benefit to the Atlanta Hawks because you're talking about a guy coming off the bench. He's, you know, him and Kev Herter, sixth, seventh man role. If he can continue, I'm not even asking for 19, 20 points a game, but if he can continue with 15, 16 point game off the bench and you have Trey, John Collins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter clicking in that first five, this team is going to be extremely dangerous. My second reflection on the Atlanta Hawks is how well DeAndre Hunter looks right now on the defensive end, specifically that first game against Dallas. Uh, you know, he he really was able to play great defense on Luka. Uh, limit Luka at times. There's also one specific play in that game where DeAndre Hunter was matched up with Porzingis. Porzingis tries to shoot a jump shot and DeAndre Hunter blocks it as it's coming out of his hand. DeAndre Hunter is an elite defender yes you heard me say that correctly DeAndre Hunter is an elite defender he's a guy that Nate McMillan will have no qualms about who am I going to put on Luka Doncic as we go into this game who am I going to put on Bradley Beal who am I going to put on Damian Lillard the answer every night for the Atlanta Hawks is going to be DeAndre Hunter and I believe that DeAndre Hunter can hold his own so I'm really impressed with the defense of DeAndre Hunter they missed that last year in the playoffs so Cam Reddish looking really good. DeAndre Hunter secondly looking really good. A couple smaller role players to speak about. Um, Gorgia Diang, I don't know if he'll be a guy that is in the rotation once Anyeka comes back from injury sometime maybe in January. But uh, he looks pretty good off the bench to me. I, I really like especially his passing as a big man out of the five position. I really like the way that he has moved the ball. And then secondly, he's shown that he's got a jump shot. So I like that addition. Um, an addition I'm not sold on so far is DeLon Wright as the backup point guard. Not thrilled with what I've seen from DeLon Wright through two games. I really would like to get Lou Williams back. I know Lou's had, you know, kind of a hip injury to start the season, but I feel like Lou is definitely a better solution at that backup point guard than DeLon Wright thus far. My next reflection on the Atlanta Hawks is a lot of people have been trying to say that this rule change, you know, how people draw fouls in the NBA is going to have an impact on Trey's game. Watching the Cleveland Cavaliers game, they were talking about this on the broadcast, and I actually don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on Trey's game for a couple of different reasons. One, Trey is an extremely smart, high basketball player. So I think that he will adapt and grow to this rule change. They talked about how he discussed, uh, I believe it was the head of officiating that Trey Young actually met with, went over, you know, how is this going to impact my game? They talked about some specific plays from Trey's last year. So Trey's taking the time to see how is this rule change going to impact my game? And then my next point about this is one of Trey's most deadly way of drawing fouls is when he comes to stop on a dime. He'll be, he'll be attacking the basket, and boom, he'll come to a stop on a dime, and the defender who will be trailing him will run into his back. He draws fouls doing this if you watch the Atlanta Hawks games all the times and all the time, and this is absolutely a foul. 
So this is not something that I'm concerned about impacting Trey's game. Trey struggled a little bit with his shooting so far. Game one against the Dallas Mavericks, one for six for three. Game, or excuse me, game one against the Dallas Mavericks, two for five from three. Game two against the Cleveland Cavaliers, one for six for three. So that puts him at three for 11 for the season. Something I'd like to see him clean up a little bit. But, you know, overall, you, they looked great against Dallas. They didn't look as good against Cleveland. You know, you can't allow a guy like Ricky Rubio to be having a 23 and eight night. But, you know, games like that are going to happen in the NBA. You move, you put it behind you. They, they play Detroit tomorrow night. I expect that to be a bounce back, double-digit win. I, I really do like the way that my Atlanta Hawks are looking right now. I, you know, I, I love the fact that you brought back, they said on the broadcast, 91% of the scoring from last year. So I think my Hawks are poised to show people and, and how Trey loves to talk about we're not getting respect right now. They're going to show people why they, they demand respect in the Eastern Conference. I fully expect us to have another good and deep playoff run. So that concludes our On the Beat segment. Up next, we will debut our newest segment, Reaction Cafe. <laughs> Welcome to the Reaction Cafe. We're delighted that you have chosen our restaurant for your dinner this evening. We have a plethora of exquisite entrees that we hope will both satisfy and provoke your palate. All of our entrees come in three different sizes, small, medium, and large. Without further ado, let's get into it. Our first one, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, getting an argument in the game against the Phoenix Suns on Friday night. The media is making a pretty big deal about this, but I want to ask you guys, is this a small deal, medium deal, or big deal off the menu? Cody, I'm going to turn it over to you first. Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis argument Friday night against the Phoenix Suns, small deal, medium deal, big deal. I think it's a big deal. At first, I thought it, it would be a small, but I think this is a big deal. And I'll, I'll look at Magic Johnson, one of the greatest all-time Lakers, perhaps the greatest all-time Laker, tweeted out, saying Dwight Howard and AD just got into a physical altercation on the bench. In my 42 years of being associated with the Lakers organization, I have never seen something like that. SMH shaking my head. So yes, I think it is a big deal and it, it shows the frustration that the Lakers had not just during the game, but perhaps in the off season, they said that it was over a pick and roll miscommunication, but it is going too far whenever yes fights happen in practice they happen during training camp we've seen that we've been a part of that but this was in front of 19,000 fans in person and I don't see that too often between teammates I see arguing we've seen Chris Paul James Harden get into it so I think that they are squashing it they said they squashed it in the locker room I don't think we'll see it moving forward LeBron was disappointed Frank Vogel was disappointed. He said, they quoted him as saying, it's just too much. It's too much. We don't need to be doing that. So I think it's low toleration for that. If there is anything that would happen again, I think Dwight will be on the next bus out of there. You know he doesn't want to leave because I don't know if another team will sign him. So I'm going to say big deal. June, small deal, medium deal, big deal on the Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard argument. After thinking about it, I'm going to have to think of a small deal. You know, these guys have won a championship together. You know, it's expectations, like I said in my previous segment. Expectations are really high in La La Land this year. 
And the first two games were not the best turnout as far as production on the court. AD knows he has a lot of expectations on him coming back, trying to have a big, big bounce back year from last year where he was disappointing to say the least. Dwight knows um, coming back from Philly last year that he's on a vet minimum. He's a little bit in his feelings from being left off the top 75 list. At this point in the game, they were getting blown out pretty bad by the Phoenix Suns. So tensions were high, emotions were high. Um, I know I'm pretty sure in the locker room, leadership in that locker room is high. Braun is one of the ultimate all-time leaders. Um, I feel like AD is pretty, pretty solid in that way. And Dwight is a vet. You know, this is a, a veteran locker, a locker room where you know, watching a video earlier where guys are talking and communicating in the locker room. And so I think it's it's a small deal. You know, it's just a spur of the moment. It doesn't look good as far as national media and, and, and pundits and whatever. Uh, but overall, I think it's a small deal. I'm going to go in between you guys. I'm going to say medium deal. And I'm going to say that for a couple of different reasons. I think it's a medium deal. So kind of I'm going to kind of take a lukewarm approach to this. For a couple of different reasons. One, it does remind me of the Draymond Green, Kevin Durant situation a little bit now. And, and part of the reason why this isn't a bigger deal to me is because you're talking about a role player in Dwight Howard versus like two stars in Golden State when I'm comparing Draymond and Kevin Durant, you know, with the argument between Anthony Davis and uh, Dwight Howard. So Anthony Davis is the one that needs to come to Dwight Howard and say, you know, as a leader on this team, you know, what can I do to make this right? And I feel like the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, they have the locker room that can fix this. So for that reason, I think it is a medium deal. But like Cody talked about, anytime something like this happens on a national stage, as opposed to behind the scenes, it is it is a little bit bigger of a deal. You know, th these things happen in training camp. These things happen in, in team practices. But once you're doing this on a national stage, maybe that hints at a little bit bigger issues going on behind the scenes. And additionally, I think that this was a product of how much – pressure the Los Angeles Lakers do feel this season you know they, they've started off the season 0-2 not looking very good and I think it was you know bumping heads like we've got to get this turned around in the right direction and we got to get it turned around quick you know competitive spirit from both these guys but overall I'm going to say medium deal on that one our second topic here in Reaction Cafe is going to be Clay Thompson being left off the NBA's top 75 list a lot of people have reacted to this in different ways. Clay Thompson seems to be quite frustrated over this. Golden State Warriors have had a little bit of fun with that in the locker room, but big deal, medium deal, small deal. Clay Thompson being left off the top 75. June, I'm going to turn it over to you. This is a big deal. Warriors are not a three time champion in the past, what, six, seven years without Clay Thompson. This man is a bona fide star. He's a three-time champion, like I said, five-time All-Star, two-time, third-team All-NBA, and a uh, one-time, second-team All-NBA. This guy, we all know what Steph is, the greatest shooter of all time. We know what Draymond is, the heart of the team, the defensive anchor. But Clay is the glue guy. He's the guy that kind of goes underneath the radar, right? He guards the best teams, other teams' best score, as well as shoots, what, 45% from a three. He's a guy that is needed in that culture. He is an ultimate locker room guy. He's a he's a low ego, low low tolerance type of guy where he doesn't say much. He doesn't. He's not needy as a superstar, as a star, whatever whatever you want to call him. But he's just a guy that is, is solid. Now in this list, there's other couple of the guys that I would like to name, like Dwight, 
that should have been definitely should have been on this list. I can even say maybe Tracy McGrady probably should have been on this list. That's just a pure talent, pure score. Um, but Clay is if Dwight is number seventy six, Clay is number seventy seven on this list. Big deal. Yeah, so if I'm looking at the list here, I see the first thing I, I notice, and this is one of my favorite players in the league right now, but I see Damian Lillard. I see Damian Lillard on there, and I look at the rest of the names on this list, and I see a whole lot of rings, lots of rings. And Damian Lillard is one of the most clutch players of all time. His story is still being written, but we it's hard to leave off a guy that has three rings and is in the top four shooting of all time and a, an elite defender as well as as june was saying so i i don't know why he's left off the top 75 maybe it's that way guys like us have something to talk about i'm not sure but yeah damian lillard is the guy i see because honestly i do kind of stay away from the guys from the 50s 60s and 70s because i wasn't alive to see that so uh, or the 80s but i know more about the 80s than the, than those three decades so yeah, that, that's pretty ridiculous that he's left off of that. That is a big deal. Give me two big meals, please. Yeah, I'm also going to say big deal. Extra salt on the fries, big deal. And a couple different things. Number one, I want to address the fact that I feel like you just disrespected Damian Lillard. I do not appreciate that as a Damian Lillard fan. Um, so Damian Lillard, without question, is a top 75 player in the NBA. Put some respect on his name. Uh, but going back to Klay Thompson – my opinion about this Clay Thompson situation is Clay Thompson is one of the greatest shooters we've ever seen. Um, I, I believe Cody, you, you echoed that you have Steph Curry, obviously up there. You have Ray Allen up there. You have Reggie Miller up there. You have Clay Thompson up there without question. Clay Thompson needs to be discussed as a top five shooter in the NBA. This is a big deal. Him being left off. I don't really understand their rationale, you know, especially when you compare it to some of the other players that did get on the list. I'm not going to, you know, cite Damian Lillard because obviously he should be on that list, but in my opinion, Clay Thompson easily should have been on the top 75. I think of some of the other guys, you know, Dwight Howard, he should have been on there as well. I'm not really sure why they left him off. Tracy McGrady, you know, maybe that's up for debate, but, you know, Clay Thompson easily should have been on the top 75 list. Big deal. Maybe this is because he hasn't played basketball in so long. Maybe they're forgetting about his greatness, but this is a big deal. Our third entree, the Reaction Cafe, Paul George right now, on this Sunday night, the number one score in the NBA at this point in time. Small deal, medium deal, big deal on Paul George leading the NBA in scoring, Cody. Small deal. Very small deal. Uh, he's he's getting a lot of shots right now with Kawhi out. I think he's, he's a great scorer, but I'm not – for some reason, the Clippers, anything they're doing right now doesn't catch my attention. I think it's just because of how they've performed in the playoffs the past few years. Um, until I see him put up those type of numbers in the playoffs, then then I'll be worried about it. So small deal. Small deal. You know, they're 0 and 2. He's putting up crazy stats. Not only is he averaging 35 a game right now, but he's also averaging 10.5 rebounds and five assists a game, which are all popping numbers. But you have to include the fact that his usage is at an all-time high. Uh, I didn't look this up, but I'm sure he's in the, probably in the top three in the first week of usage rate. You know, who's their bona fide point guard? Is it Reggie Jackson, <laughs> right? Is it, it – it's Paul George. You know, he he is the de facto playmaker, pretty much 85% of the offensive possessions during these first few games. Um, he's balling in that, but 
he's not producing any wins. So it's not empty stats because they look great. He is looking good on the stat sheet, but they're not equaling out into wins. Small deal. I'm going to say for me, I'm going to take a medium deal on this one. I think that, you know, obviously with Kawhi Leonard out for the foreseeable future, probably out for, you know, potentially almost the majority of the season, if not the whole season, you know, the, the Clippers haven't really been straight up about exactly when they're targeting his return date. And that's obviously very difficult to do with a, an injury of that magnitude. But I think this is a medium deal because if the Clippers are going to be successful, he's going to have to put up these type of numbers. He's going to have to be a 30-plus point-per-game score. He's going to have to be in the conversation for a leading scorer in the NBA. So this is a medium deal for me. If he can sustain this over, you know, a longer period of time, then this becomes a bigger deal for me because, you know, you're talking about the Los Angeles Clippers who were in the Western Conference Finals last year, and they didn't have Kawhi in the Western Conference Finals. So there's still something there on that roster but Paul George is going to have to step up. Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, some of the other teammates are going to have to play their roles better. You know, they're obviously off to a slow start. Both the teams in Los Angeles are off to a slow start, but Paul George is going to have to continue to play at a high level, 35 points per game. He's going to have to kind of do something like this on a night in night basis. If the Clippers are going to be a legitimate threat in the Western conference. And lastly for dessert at the reaction cafe, Ja Morant, we talked about how he's been off to a torrid start already, playing at a very high level, has the Grizzlies at 2-0, currently playing the Los Angeles Lakers tonight, looking to go to 3-0. For dessert, are you buying or passing on this dessert that Ja Morant is on track to have a better NBA career than the person who was selected before him, Zion Williamson? Are you buying or passing on that dessert, June? I'm buying that. Before they were drafted, I was saying that Josh should have been number one pick. Look at the current NBA, right? It's a it's a point guard league. It's a space space and space and pace type of league. Zion is a traditional type of big where he cannot shoot from the perimeter. Free throw shooting is not that high, and he has playmaking abilities on off the off the dribble, but he his his body type, his health issues. What happened at Duke, and I know Cody's a big Duke guy, so I'm sure he's – I'm waiting to see his, his take on this. But Jai is the is the new age point guard. You know, he's super athletic, can shoot it. He, he's continuing his evolution of being able to shoot from the three as well as the free throw line mid-range, and he's hyper-athletic, um, and he just makes it go. He has the swag on and off the court. He has that marketability, that charismatic trait, as well as Zion. But I think Jai has the ability to be transcendent, you know, and the best – Ability is availability, and Zion has been shown from Duke up until current age where he still hasn't made his season debut of he's over 300 pounds. Um, reports have shown how long, and he's a great talent when he's on the floor, but how long will he be on the floor and for how many years will he be able to produce 20 and 10 type seasons? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's good points about the durability. That, that was the first place I was going to go. And I love both of these players. I love Jaw. I love Zion. Yeah, and I and I love Duke. So I'm used to seeing Zion play. But Jaw's played 132 NBA games. Zion's played 85. That's a big difference. So Zion, when he plays, I have him down for 25 points a game, seven boards, shooting 60. percent That man is dunking the ball every time. We're getting really close, and that's. 
I don't think we should hold that against him. I don't think he needs to learn how to shoot. I don't. I, he can improve his free throw shooting, but he needs to do what he's good at, and that's going to the rim. And then Jaw last year averaged 18 points a game, four boards, seven assists on 46% free throw shooting. So both of them have great numbers, especially Zion when he's in there. I actually looked, and they have Zion as having – 10 win shares. So adding 10 wins when he plays is what they're saying his worth is. Jaws is seven wins. So it's all pretty similar. I take Jaw. Saying all that, I take Jaw simply because he is durable. It does, it does make me worried how he does fly into the lane. I mean, he takes off from halfway in the lane, takes contact with the big man, finishes. There's a lot of possibilities for injuries there, but I do see him kind of like a Russell Westbrook in that fact. And Russ is, he's had his injuries, but he's been durable overall. So I would take jaw just for the fact that I think in five to 10 years, I think he's still going to be playing. I don't know about Zion. Interesting. I was expecting that you would pass on that dessert. Uh, June alluded to the fact that you're a Duke fan. I know you're a big Zion guy, but I'm also going to buy this dessert. Um, like, you know, you've kind of, both of you guys have touched on the, the topic of his availability, right? So uh, Jaws availability versus Zion's availability. Obviously we know that Zion hasn't been completely healthy. Uh, you know, a, a, a lot of these times he has not been very healthy at all. And so for that reason, I'm taking Jaw, but also Jaw to me, when I, when I watch Grizzlies games versus when I watch Pelicans games, when I look at the, the, what they've accomplished in their short NBA careers, Jaw is a better leader in the locker room as well. That, that's what I see. You know, you're talking about a team last year that did make the playoffs and they competed very hard in the playoffs. You has, Do you think that has something to do with John Morant? Absolutely. John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Taylor Jenkins building a system where these guys are bought in, whereas New Orleans looks like a hot mess. We, you know, we're, we're, we don't even know if Zion's going to be in New Orleans beyond, you know, maybe – will he even be in New Orleans next year as a legitimate – uh, topic that could be that could be discussed so I'm definitely buying this dessert I, I would you know if I'm an NBA franchise I would rather have John Morant right now than Zion Williamson I'm definitely buying that dessert with two scoops of ice cream on top welcome back to episode three of the give and goat report our next segment, we'll be talking about NBA awards for this season and our predictions. Yes, we've had a week to dissect and digest the basketball that we've seen, but we're going to go ahead and give them to you anyway. So our predictions for each of the NBA awards this year. First, we'll start with our prediction for the Rookie of the Year. June, who is your prediction for this year's NBA Rookie of the Year? Before I get into my prediction, I think this rookie class is really, really deep. I think it's a really good draft. I really I liked all of the top five picks. And I, and it's deeper than that, but that first top five pick can be all stars to superstars. But with, without further ado, my rookie of the year is Cade Cunningham. He hasn't played yet, but I believe six eight guard, um, wing slash combo guard type that can put it on the put it on the ground, create his own shot, pass for others, rebound at a high level, and can shoot it. Right. Pistons don't have a lot of guards right now. You can tell the first week Killian Hayes is not the answer as a lead guard. So Kate is going to have high usage, high opportunity to go get his stats. They're not going to win a lot, but 
He's a guy that's going to be able to put up big numbers this year. Kate Cunningham, rookie of the year, stamp it. I'm actually in agreement with you. I think that Cade Cunningham is the front runner for um, rookie of the year. You know, a lot of people have talked about Jalen Green as well. Obviously, he got to a slow, got off to a slow start. I think nine points per game for the first two games, and then he obviously looked really good today. But Cade Cunningham, I do think for a couple of reasons, will be rookie of the year. One, he's going to have plenty of opportunities. You know, you have Jeremy Grant as your number one scorer. Cade Cunningham will be number two. So I think Cade Cunningham, you know, you're probably looking at you know, 16 to 18 points per game is, I think, what where you'll see him land at. So I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities in Detroit. You know, we talked about them not being very good, but um, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to produce, and I think he will produce. And then kind of a uh, another guy I think that I could see winning Rookie of the Year uh, would be Evan Mobley. Um, you know, I obviously saw him 17 points, 11 rebounds against my Hawks on Saturday, but I think Evan Mobley is another guy that I could see winning rookie of the year, but if I'm going to choose one, because obviously only one person can win it, I think it's going to be Cade. My guy would have to be Chris Duarte. He was a 13th overall pick, and some other notable guys to go at the 13th overall pick were Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, and Tyler, Tyler Hero, just to name a few. But Chris Duarte had the best rookie campaign or best rookie opening night out of all four of those guys when he dropped 27 points in his first game versus the Charlotte Hornets. So I think if you watch him play, he seems like he has command of the ball. He is an older rookie coming in. He actually spent a good amount of time in college. So far, he is averaging 20 points a game, four rebounds and two assists, but he looks like he has command of the offense. He feels comfortable out there. So I think this is something – can he – can he obviously keep up that type of scoring? I don't think so. But if he can hover around that 18 to 20 points a game this year, which if you've seen him play, he does have that capability of doing so. He's in an organization that will allow him to get a lot of minutes this year. And I think that he will be the rookie of the year. All good takes there for our rookie of the year. Our next award, our prediction, I should say, for the NBA this season would be the six man of the year award a lot of different candidates a lot of different directions we can go with this june what you got for this year's prediction for nba six man of the year six man for the year i gotta go with my guy d rose you know he's a guy that's a vet that is on the new york knicks that are potentially you know last year they were a four seed at 41 and 31 in the 72 game shortened season this year i project him to go 48 and 34 um, D Rose tonight, I think he had 25 and six on this Sunday against in a losing effort. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, is trusted with the ball, is going to be able to. He's a vet. He's a former MVP, Cody, former Bull, for, former you know, Chicago great legend. Um, and the Knicks are, you know, with these awards, you got to have guys that are, aside from the rookie year, you got to have guys that are in winning cultures, that are putting up stats, but also are high in standings. And I believe the Knicks are, are, are primed to have an even better season with new additions. So D Rose, six men of the year off the bench, um, up there in the Big Apple, Madison Square Garden, six men of the year. D Rose, book it. I don't see that happening, you know, but but we'll see. My six men of the year, I'm gonna go with Tyler Hero, and I think that Tyler has a lot of opportunities in Miami to produce. You're talking about a guy coming off the bench right now, extremely hot, 28.5 points per game through. 
through his two games. Um, he's another guy that I'm going to talk about later in this show. It's maybe sooner, sooner than you think, but I think uh, my guy in South Beach, Tyler, is going to get that uh, six-man-of-the-year award. Cody, what do you think? I would have to disagree with both of you guys, especially the Tyler hero take. After we saw his debacle in the playoffs last year, he is he can become pretty streaky, especially when the lights get the brightest. So I would have to say Jordan Clarkson. I think he's going to go back-to-back six men of the year. And to June's point, it often goes to a successful team as well. So the Utah Jazz, they are a regular season team. They like to rack up the awards as well. So I'm going to go Jordan Clarkson because he's going to be in the same exact role, playing 25 to 30 minutes a game, a high-volume shooter. He's going to get a lot of shots up. And I think uh, him scoring 16 to 20 points a game alone will get him that award again. Our next award we have is going to be Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, pretty interesting award that the NBA awards every year. We've seen a lot of guys have this award multiple times. June, who do you have winning Defensive Player of the Year this year? Yeah, this one was the one I struggled with the most. You know, guys that are capable of locking up the, locking up the defense into the, the court really comes in three guys in the running every single year. Giannis, Rudy Gobert, and A.D., I think AD is is hungry this year, but I think Giannis is the two the best two way uh, player in the league up to up to this date. So I'm gonna have to go with Giannis. You know, he's he's in his ultimate prime. You know, he's not only on offense end but defense end. He's able to guard one through five. He's able to protect the rim. He's able to guard fast wings, guards. He's able to do a little bit of everything. So I think the, rebounding wise, he's above twelve a game. Above what a block and a half a game, a block uh, above a block, uh, still in a half a game. So he's a guy that is ready to, you know, add to his trophy case in regards to a defense player of the year. Speaking of adding to a trophy case, I agree with you about uh, Giannis being a candidate for this, but I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to go for a guy that's going to get his fourth defensive player of the year award, and that's going to be Rudy Gobert. To go along with your point earlier about giving awards to players whose teams are successful, Utah Jazz will finish number one in the Western Conference. I see that happening. They're a great regular season team. You know, I talked in the Western Conference episode. We don't know if that will translate directly to the playoffs. But Rudy Gobert right now through two games, he's averaging 20 rebounds a game. So 20 rebounds a game, you know, obviously we know he can protect the rim shot blocking, but he is an elite paint defender. Rudy Gobert, this year's Defensive Player of the Year, fourth time in his career as the Utah Jazz on the number one seed. That's my prediction. Cody, who you got for Defensive Player of the Year? I'm going down south to Miami. Bam Adebayo averaging 14 and a half rebounds a game right now, almost a block a game. But he is known in that heat culture as the staple on defense. He, he's, he's the one waiting at the rim for you. So I know he was pretty high up on the Defensive Player of the Year voting last year. I think he's going to come back hungry. I think maybe Gobert is getting a little tired of winning that thing. So I'm going to go with Bam. Our next award in this prediction for NBA awards this year is going to be our most improved player uh, award. Also a very interesting award given out every year. Seems to be given to a player who has really taken their game to the next level from one season to the next. June, who's your prediction for this year's NBA's most improved player award? So for my, my most improved this year, you had him for your sixth man, but I got him for most improved, Tyler Harrow. Um, I know 
kind of victim of the moment because he is balling right now. 28 points, eight uh, rebounds a game, um, kind of with Kyle Lowry being out and Jimmy Butler. They're kind of figuring out their culture right now uh, in, the, in their rotations, but Tyler Hero is absolutely balling. So uh, last year he averaged 15, five, and three. And to uh, Cody's point, he is streaky, but I think with another year um, working on his game, you know, being able to get more moves off the dribble, been able to allow the game to slow down for him. He's a guy that's primed for not only a week of hot games, but I believe a season long of hot games. So I got Tyler Harrell most improved. Yeah, I actually had Tyler too. So I'll have to go with my second choice because I did have Tyler Harrell winning six man. Uh, or excuse me, I have I had him winning six man and most improved. I had him getting two trophies in that trophy case for my boy from South Beach. But uh, since you took him, I'll take who I think could be a second choice. And neither one of y'all is going to see this coming whatsoever. You ready for this prediction? Give and go, listeners. Six uh, most improved player, Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish, right now my man is balling. Talk about a man balling. 19.5 points per game. He's second on the Atlanta Hawks in scoring right now. I see Cam Reddish as a legitimate guy that will be in this discussion come the end of the year for, for two reasons. One, he is that scoring option off the bench along with Kevin Herter. Both of them are going to be looking at that you know scoring option off the bench. And then secondly, the Atlanta Hawks, Hawks are going to be a top three seed, top three seed in the Eastern Conference. They're going to be winning a lot of games. Cam Reddish, if he can stay healthy, continue averaging 16, 18 points a game, he will be in this in the most improved player of the year award race. I'm gonna have to go with my dog from Memphis, Ja Morant, as the most improved player for this season. Last year he averaged 19 points a game. I think for sure he's going to average 25 points a game this year to go along with his career average of seven assists. And I think with him leading the Grizzlies again to the playoffs in that tough Western conference, I think that they'll give him the nod because as he improves and and the game slows down for him in his third season for the Grizzlies, I think you're going to see a huge jump in his points per game, and I think that they will uh, they'll hand him that trophy at the end of the year. I like that, Cody. I, I had him as a close second. You know, his usage rate and his ability. You know, guys, he took a big jump from rookie year to second year, but I think he will take – and he's shown this first week that he he's going to take an even bigger jump from second year to third year. And one thing I've noticed is the only knack is – he shot 33% from three his rookie year, then 30 his second year. And then this year, it's only two games, but he's shooting 27%. So I need to see some improvement on that deep range if he's going to be able to keep bringing the defense out to him. And, and so that way he can continue to do his game of driving to the rim. He's got to make those defenders honest. So I want to see some improvement there, though. In our last. The NBA award prediction is going to be for the most valuable player. MVP of the 2021-2022 season will be who, Jim? Luca. My man is prime. He's only 22 years old. I think going on 23 here in a, in a few weeks, I believe. He's primed for a big season. I have, I am projected around 28 points a game, nine and a half rebounds, nine assists a game. He is a high-volume, high-usage guy that 
quite frankly, the Mavs run through everything through him. Now, is that going to be productive in playoff time? No, but this is a regular season award. I believe the Mavs have enough to be a four or five seed in the West as long as KP stays healthy, Porzingis stays healthy. And this award has proven to be either to the best team, best player on the best team, or to a guy that is transcendent, that breaks some type of crazy historic feat like Russell Westbrook did a few years ago. Um, I think Luka is ready to take that next step in his game, being more efficient, being more productive on the court from as far as free throw line and three-point percentage. Um, time will tell, but I think Luka is MVP this year. Not a bad pick, but I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go with Giannis. I think Giannis wins MVP this year. I think you're talking about a team that will probably finish first in the Eastern Conference, coming off an NBA title. He Right now he's playing at the peak of his game. Um, you know, this is the best basketball he's played in his career, and I think he'll continue that. You know, let's say at the end of the season he's averaging, you know, 25, 10, and 5. If he's averaging stats like that, it's going to be very difficult to not hand that award to him, especially given the fact if we compare him to, like, the Luka. I don't anticipate Luka in the Dallas Mavericks being a top three, four seed in the Western Conference, but I definitely anticipate Giannis being in the top – three and four seed with the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. So I've got Giannis winning MVP. Cody, who's your who's your pick? I'm going to go with the fifth highest odds, according to Vegas, to win the MVP this year, and that's Stephen Wardell Curry. I think his impact for the Warriors is pretty well known. He's a three-time champion. And this year it seems like he's come out pretty intent on taking his team back to the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, and even – starting the year, he's he's had himself a triple-double. And I think that's pretty impressive with him being a smaller guard. But I don't think he's going to quite shoot the three-point shot at a clip as he's normally done. It's kind of hard to, to match that. But I think the value that he brings to that organization, even with Clay on the, on the bench, as we saw on opening night, and he did have help from other players, but he's a leader in that organization, that franchise. He is the culture there. And I think that he'll win the MVP this year. Yeah, I love that Steph pick. Um, I definitely could see that happening again as well. Uh, me and you both, I know we talked about how high we are on the Golden State Warriors as a bounce back year for them. Um, I think you had them as the second seed in the West. I have them as fourth, and I believe June had them as sixth in the Western Conference. So I could see that happen as well, especially if Golden State somehow finds themselves as a top four seed in the Western Conference. After the break, we'll get to our GOAT of the week and we discuss, in which we discuss a player who has been on fire this past week in the NBA. Welcome back to episode three of the Given GOAT Report. Our next segment is our GOATs of the week. So in this segment, we'll be uh, discussing a player who has had a really good week in the NBA, whether it be on the offensive side of the court, the defensive side of the court, or some of all of the above. Cody, I'm going to go to you first. Who is your GOAT of the week this last year, this last week in the NBA? The GOAT of this past week would be Steph Curry. I know I just spoke about him, but this past week he tore up both Los Angeles teams. He gave the Clippers 45 points, 10 assists on 16 of 25 shooting, 8 of 13 from deep with a block and a steal to grab a 115 
113 dub. And then he also led him to a win over the Lakers with 21 points, 10 boards, 10 assists, and three steals. So he dropped a triple-double on the Lakers. Even though he shot poorly, he was he was uh, five for 21 from the field, but he made key shots, plays. He hit all of his free throws. He was nine for nine to push the Warriors to that 121-114 win and a big opening night versus the Lakers as well. So he is my GOAT of the week. My GOAT of the week. I've talked about him earlier in the show, LaMelo Ball. Now, the projections for this Hornets team is hopefully they are a playing team. First week, 3-0 this week with wins over the Pacers by one on, on the first game, beat the Cavs, and then today, this afternoon, beat the Nets by 16. Melo averaged 24, 6, 6.5 six assists, and 3.5 steals per game this week. With the clip of shooting 54% from the field, 66.7% from the three-point line on six attempts per game, as well as 100% from the free throw line. The boy was straight balling this week. You know, he's known for what he's on the offensive side of the floor. But 3.5 steals per game, 3-0 and this week against beating James Harden and KD today. You know, Pacers opening night and then Cavs, you got to give it to him. LaMelo Ball, go to the week. Keep going. I like both your picks there for go to the week. Uh, obviously, both players whose teams have had success so far this season. I'm going to stay with a similar topic, a team that right now as we speak is 2-0 and in the Western Conference. That's going to be the Memphis Grizzlies, that boy out of West Tennessee, Ja Morant. Uh, that's my go to the week, electrifying playmaker. Right now, Memphis Grizzlies are without Dylan Brooks, so he's without his uh, you know, one of his top other scorers, but John Morant has picked up the slack and then some averaging over 30 points a game right now. Uh, they went against Cleveland. They went against Clippers. So John Morant playing at a really high level right now. Could he sneak into that MVP conversation or am I, am I speaking too soon? But right now go to the week for me is going to be John Morant. After the break, we'll get to my Vegas picks Hopefully make you a little bit of money on this beautiful week here in October. Welcome back to episode three of the Give and Goat Report. It's time for my Vegas pick segment. Last week we did go two and two on our Vegas picks, but this week we will make you some money. My first game for you is the Golden State Warriors traveling to the Oklahoma City Thunder on Tuesday night. Right now, the Golden State Warriors are favored in this game by nine points, and I have the Golden State Warriors covering. Oklahoma City, not a very good team, yet to win a game, and the Warriors are not going to allow that to happen. So I've got the Warriors covering nine-point spread on the road. My second game for you, Los Angeles Lakers traveling to the San Antonio Spurs also a Tuesday night game. Don't overthink this one. Los Angeles Lakers, definitely the better team. Yes, they've had a slow start to the season, but I have them covering a four and a half point spread on the road. Yeah, I'll take that against the Spurs all night and day. And my third game I have for you, the spread is not yet out. It's going to be a 7.30 game on Wednesday. Atlanta Hawks traveling to the New Orleans Pelicans. It's a 7.30 p.m. game on ESPN. Here's my recommendation for you on this one. If the Hawks are favored by 10 or less, I have the Hawks covering the spread. Right now, the New Orleans Pelicans without Zion, not a very good team. 
The Hawks are a very good team. The Hawks have played some really good basketball. Yes, they didn't look great on Saturday against the Cavs, but focus on the good. Hopefully DeAndre Hunter will be primed and ready to go. You can put him on Brandon Ingram. And if, without Brandon Ingram, you know, with DeAndre Hunter containing him, Zion Williamson out of the picture due to injury. I've got the Hawks covering if they're favored by 10 or less. And those are my three Vegas picks for you this week. Bada bing, bada boom, make some money. And our last segment here of the Give and Go Report, episode three, is going to be our game or games of the week. So games that we're each individually looking forward to tuning into this week in the NBA, week two of the NBA. June, I'll start with you. What's your game of the week this week in the NBA? Game of the week, I have the Mavs versus the Nuggets this Friday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. I have the reigning MVP and, and the Joker. From Denver Nuggets versus my pick to win MVP this year, Luca. It's going to be a great game Friday night. So, end of the week, relax, getting off work, enjoy yourself, sit back, make some popcorn, and watch these boys go at each other. I've got two picks for game of the week. I do like that one, but I've got two picks for. Game of the week. Um, my first one's going to be a Tuesday night game. It's going to be Philadelphia at the New York Knicks. I think that this one is interesting for a variety of reasons. For number one, number one, if you did not watch that Boston-New York Knicks game last week, that game was lit with a capital L-I-T. MSG was rocking. It was the place to be. They, they pull out an overtime win last week. That was just exciting basketball to watch. Spike Lee on the front row getting the crowd a little excited. You know, and those boys were balling. Tom Thibodeau, you know, a lot of people in the national media have asked the question, were the Knicks kind of a one-off last year, you know, making making the playoffs kind of in a weird NBA year? Well, here's another opportunity on TNT, 7.30, Ernie and the gang, tune in. That's going to be a good game there on TNT. My second pick for game of the week is going to be a Thursday night game, not on national TV but I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Memphis Grizzlies at the Golden State Warriors, 10 p.m. Eastern tip-off. That is a rematch of one of the games last year in the play-in tournament in which Jaw eliminated those boys. Golden State got eliminated by the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously, I'm pretty high on Jaw right now. He was my go to the week, and now he's playing in my game of the week. Tune in Thursday night, Memphis at Golden State. That's going to be one for the ages. Cody, what game of the week you got? got an entertaining game this Thursday, 8 p.m. Derrick Rose, Tom Thibodeau, even Taj Gibson, are, they're traveling back to Chicago with a clash of two teams that have started this season hot. Julius Randle, it seems like he's regained his confidence as this from this past uh, postseason. He's back to his normal self. R.J. Barrett seems like he's on the verge of a breakout season. And then also Evan Fournier, I think he's been a great addition to their offense. So it's going to be cool to see how they go up against this defense with Chicago, as well as the matchup between Tibbs defense, who often every single year ranks as one of the highest defenses in the league. So we're going to see defense with the Knicks versus this high-powered offense 
with the Bulls. So this is going to be the Bulls' first real test of the season. Yeah, I like that game as well. Uh, obviously, two of us featuring the New York Knicks there. They are an exciting team to watch right now. I do agree with you, too, about that Evan Fournier addition. I think between uh, his first two games, he was having 25 points per game. So New York Knicks are an exciting team to watch. Listeners, we appreciate you tuning in to episode three of the Give and Goat Report. We will be bringing you weekly episodes for you to tune into every week in which we, we will be breaking down NBA teams, headlines, providing you with team analysis, goat of the week, all of the above, and one of the best segments we have, Reaction Cafe. We'll hope you'll take a seat at our restaurant and dine with us. Again, listeners, we appreciate you listening to episode three of the Give and Go Report. We look forward to bringing in another episode to you again. Episode four next week, stay tuned. Give us five star on Apple Podcasts. Tune in on Spotify. Give us a follow on Twitter. Good night. Good night.